the executive director for the World Sikh Organization, and you're listening to episode two of Ask Canadian Sikh, the podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Just breathe the ball. I made sure to say doctor this time. Bonus points. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a couple of different topics. First and foremost, Quebec's Bill 21. Have you been following this, uh, Just Before? I have, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing, actually. This is happening in Canada. Um, we're going to be hopping over to a very deep conversation of white nationalist, which seems to be a topic of importance across the world, not just here in Canada. Uh, but there's so much to talk about this. This is going to be a huge topic for us today. Uh, and last but not least, we're going to be talking about election interference. We are, what, six to eight months away now from a federal election here, October uh, it, 2019 is the federal election here in Canada. And election interference is going to be a big topic. For sure. All right. See you after the jump. Hi, my name is Shaba Singh. I'm 17 year old and I'm about to finish high school. I just applied for a, for a CGEP, for a youth and adult correctional officer. I wanted to apply for a police tag, but because of the story of Bill C-21, I can't really become a cop in Quebec. So what's the point for applying for a police tag, you know? So I changed my program. I changed my dream because of the government. And uh, that's really unfortunate because since I'm five-year-old, I'm trying to be a cop. But because of this bill, I can't become what I want to become. And that's really bad because uh, everyone should have same chances and opportunities, you know, because that's what I always wanted to become, but because the government forcing, I can't really become what I always wanted to become, a cop, you know, so yeah. Quebec's Bill 21, an act respecting the laicite of the state. The bill introduced March 28th, 2019 by the CAQ will ban the wearing of religious symbols by some of Quebec government employees, including judges, prosecutors, police officers, prison guards, and elementary and high school teachers. The reaction has been fairly swift from many different circles in Quebec and Canada in condemning this. Uh, and just to give you a bit of a snapshot here, the Benai Birth have said the banning of religious symbols and the possible firing of public employees who freely express their religious beliefs is an assault to the fundamental rights and freedoms of Quebecers. The National Council of Canadian Muslims says the bill will render Quebec Muslims and other minority communities second-class citizens and is effectively a ban on wearing the hijab in the Quebec public service, given the overwhelming number of people impacted will be Muslim women. The Center for Civic Religious Literacy says, enforcing individuals to choose between their jobs and their beliefs, the proposed ban violates guaranteed human rights. The Quebec Women's Federation says, we completely reject any instrumentalization of gender equality in the drafting of this bill. We refuse to allow the Quebec state to dictate to women what they should wear or not. And last but not least, from the World Sick Organization of Canada, we fear that this ban will have a trickle-down effect into the private sector, and young Sikhs who are born and raised in Quebec will find it even more difficult to find jobs in the province. We are joined here today, actually, uh, with Balpreet Singh, the legal counsel for the World Sikh Organization, who has been handling this file uh, very intimately and has actually experienced some of the lessite impacts on himself, uh, practicing law and handling files in Quebec. Uh, Balpreet Singh, you've dealt with this issue uh, quite intimately, actually, and you've seen the impacts on this in the community, but you've also been on the legal side challenging some of uh, Quebec's quote-unquote uh, secularism uh, decisions in the past. 
Yeah, so Quebec has been a challenge for us for a long, long time. Um, so for me personally, when in 2011, we went to talk about the first attempt to ban face coverings in Quebec, uh, we ended up being stopped at the door and told we can't wear our carpons. Stopped at what door? At the Quebec National Assembly. So when we were going to the Quebec National Assembly to present about what we felt was an unfair ban on the niqab, um, we were told that we can't enter, uh, which actually became a national news story. And uh, we challenged... Hold on, i get this straight. They, they invited you to speak about religious symbols and then they banned you from entering because of a religious symbol. Yeah, it was really quite ironic. Uh, we had been actually invited by them to talk about uh, the impact on this sort of a ban. This is like when you invite someone to your house and you don't have like jaw and snacks ready. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we grew up like watching cartoons and the um, like the background would always be the same. Like they keep running, but it's just like the same four trees in the background. This like this whole thing with Quebec is like I see that tree over and over again. Aren't you tired? Haven't you been doing that having the same conversation for years? It's it is tiring in the sense that it makes no sense why they have such a big problem with religious symbols. But here's the thing. When this happened in 2011, it was a lot of people in our community who came out to say, uh, why did you have to go there anyways? You know, they invited you, but you knew this, should, this would have been a problem. Well, you didn't have to make noise about it. And why were you there defending the niqab in the first place? The niqab is not allowed in a Sikh faith. And the answer to that was, you know, it's going to come to us one day. And I think we've seen that we were right about that. It has come to us. But this is just one example. I mean, I fought a two-year battle... Uh, with uh, the Quebec Soccer Federation to have kids being allowed to wear parque and vestara while playing soccer. Um, and that was a huge issue. For one season, these kids had to sit out. And for the second one, we actually got the Canadian Soccer Association to uh, essentially uh, suspend the Quebec branch while they had this ban in place. And they only rescinded it once FIFA told them they could. So it wasn't something they saw the logic of. It was essentially because they had no choice. So we have the Bill 21 now, um, and the CAQ government that's in power um, has been steadfast in saying that they're not going to back away from this. Could you provide some context, actually, on the CAQ and, and maybe uh, some of the political background behind? Uh, again, I use, the, I use the word secularism bill very lightly because it's really just about discriminating against religious symbols. Uh, but do you mind giving some context there? So this is the fourth iteration of a secularism bill that's come in Quebec. The Liberals have been part of it, uh, the PQ has tried, and the CAC, these guys are the most extreme. And they know that minorities aren't going to vote for them anyways, so they've just gone all out. Um, this is probably the most widely uh, reaching bill that we've seen to date. It applies to not just Muslim women that cover their faces, but all religious symbols for people that uh, wear a weapon as a part of the public service, principals, school teachers. Um, it's really, really wide, and they just don't care what anyone has to say because their voter bank uh, supports this sort of uh, a measure. So what's, what's the impact on the Sikh community in Quebec? Because you've been talking to many of them for a while. And our VP, Amrit Kaur, uh, who oversees our Quebec operations, has been doing a lot of media uh, availabilities and doing a lot of interviews and having a lot of conversations about this. Uh, so uh, what have you seen or what are the folks there saying about the, the impact on the six in Quebec? Six in Quebec are an interesting uh, phenomenon. I'm told that if six who arrived in Quebec actually stayed in Quebec, 
you would have six as being uh, the largest population uh, in Quebec. Like now we have it in British Columbia and Ontario. It would actually be largest in Quebec if they actually stuck there. Um, because most people landed at Montreal, right, when they first came. It was at one point and probably still considered to be favorable to refugee claims. Um, and a lot of six started out in Quebec. But that having been said, you have people now who are saying that our young people just can't get jobs. And that's the problem here. This applies to the public sector, but it has a trickle-down effect to the private sector as well. If you see that the government's not hiring these people with things on their heads, um, the private sector saying, then why should we as well? So our young people in Quebec are having trouble finding jobs, and a lot of them have left. Uh, even Multani, for example. Uh, Gurbaz Singh Multani fought for his right in Quebec, but he no longer lives in Quebec. So you've been to the Supreme Court in Canada, and you have you understand legally how the charter is used. Um, what how does the charter protect our rights, and what is the notwithstanding clause, and how does that what is its relationship? So the strongest shield that we have for our rights, and the reason why we can wear our kirpans and have our dastara in Canada, is the charter. So the charter is an amazing document, and we talk about it as sharing a lot of the same values that we believe in as six, you know, freedom of religion, equality, all those great things. But to get it passed, uh, in 1982, uh, Jean Chrétien, he proposed to his provincial counterparts who were opposing the charter that, okay, let it happen, but we'll give you section 33, which is like a safety valve, and you can use a notwithstanding clause to exempt any legislation for five years from the charter. And you can uh, repeat that again after five years. And that actually resulted in the provinces signing on. Um, the historical uh, context of that is that Pierre Trudeau actually didn't want the notwithstanding clause. And he told Chrétien that, you know, this is here because of you. And Chrétien told him, well, you're the one that accepted it. So this is something that uh, was supposed to be an emergency valve. Uh, but Quebec has sort of mocked it. Um, between 1982 and 1987, every single bill they passed in Quebec had the notwithstanding clause as a sort of protest to the charter. Um, and they stopped in 87, but they've used it again uh, for their language bill, and now they say they're going to use it for this uh, so-called laïcité bill. So what has, um, and I, I listed off a, a bunch of reactions from different organizations, religious groups and non-religious groups. Um, what has allyship looked like uh, around this debate in Quebec? Like how closely are we working with, let's say, the NCCM or the Muslim community or the Jewish community? So we're in constant touch with uh, community groups, whether it's uh, Muslim groups or Jewish groups. But at this point, it's very difficult to see the path forward in the sense that a legal challenge isn't going to happen um, if the notwithstanding clause is used. Um, so what are you looking at? You're hoping that civil society in Quebec, uh, that so, uh, social groups or individuals in Quebec are going to come out and say, uh, you know, this isn't what we believe in. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, on the positive side, the Montreal School Board has said that they won't be enforcing uh, this bill, even if it does become law. But how wide is that opposition going to be? We have to wait and see, I guess. How many six do we have uh, in these public sector uh, jobs? Like, how many, how many of them are actually already there? It's not a huge number, to be honest. Um, earlier last year, we did a press conference in Montreal uh, with Marvin Rotron, who's a counselor there, and uh, Mukbir Singh, our president, was there, and Amrit Gaur was there. And what they called for, what the WSO called for, was 
the Montreal police to allow the wearing of the turban for police officers, something that has happened for years and years in the rest of Canada. And we also called for the civil service, uh, public servants, to reflect society, and that meant hiring more Sikhs who are a part of Montreal and Quebec society. Um, but, I mean, quite the opposite is going to happen now. So if there's not many right now, there's going to be probably none in the future. Um, it's pretty sad. So Mukbir Singh uh, put out uh, his own his own thoughts on this, and Mukbir Singh's our president, and he's he's a Montreal native. Um, and he said something that, uh, that, that seemed a little powerful, uh, to me at least, was that, and I quote, the underlying assumption that only individuals with no articles of faith can be trusted in positions of power is a dangerous precedent to establish. All of us need to condemn this. You know, why, why is the Quebec government so hell-bent on, on this whole secularism thing? Like, what is even the point of it? Like, what are they trying to accomplish with this? This is a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. There is no problem of Sikh teachers going out there and converting their students to Sikhi. There's no issue of lawyers who are representing the state going and having an undue influence on the judge or, you know, trying to proselytize others to the faith. It, it just doesn't happen. The Quebec society... They're essentially... The, the governments are playing to the fears of people that have never encountered... Uh, you know, actual members of these faiths. Like if you look at the poll numbers, individuals who encounter people of uh, minorities, Sikhs, Muslims in Montreal, uh, they are usually against these sort of measures. It's people who are in small town Quebec who are most against uh, people wearing something on their heads. Uh, the message that Quebec is really sending uh, is that it doesn't matter what's in your head, it matters what's on it. Uh, I mean, the whole premise of it is ridiculous. Like, if someone's going to have a religious bias because they're wearing a head covering, let's say you force them to take their head covering off, will they then also not have that bias anymore? No, the bias is still going to be there. And the whole idea that secularism is somehow neutral is a fallacy as well. Secularism in Canada is... Uh, it's Catholicism, it's Christianity, it's without naming God, but it has all of those same practices in it. So even if you were to remove all of the uh, colored versions of religion, you would be left with something that they're feigning as neutrality, but would actually just be their version of religion without actually citing God. Uh, but my question to you, so I'm an educator, you're in the legal field. Um, what? Uh, how much does your your identity impact your ability to do your job? So as a Sikh... Um, I am a whole, and I think the compartmentalizing of identity, public identity, private identity, it's not how we as Sikhs see our faith. Like, if I am a Sikh at home, I'm a Sikh publicly, Sikh is who I am as an identity. It's not a part of me, it is who I am. Um, and I don't think people understand that. Uh, but what you mentioned earlier was also uh, very interesting. Quebec's approach to secularism is very hypocritical. Like, if you go to Montreal, you're driving around the streets, there's all kinds of streets that are named after Catholic saints. Are you going to change that? I don't think so. Uh, even the definition of what is a religious symbol is not uh, set out in this bill. So it's not clear how you're going to define things, like even the thought. If someone is wearing a bandana, if it's a white guy, that's okay. If it's a brown guy, automatically that must be assumed to be a religious symbol. A fashion turban, I guess that would be okay for a white person or someone else, but for a brown person, no, that's a religious symbol. 
I mean, even like a bindi. Like, is that religious? Is it cultural? How are you going to define it? And this bill has absolutely no context as to how they're going to define religious symbol. And I think that's going to be something that the courts will have to jump in on. And that opens up a can of worms that uh, the Supreme Court in Amsalem has said that uh, courts cannot be arbitrators of religious doctrine. So I don't know how they're going to get around that. Another statement from McBear Singh that actually gained a lot of traction on Twitter was um, secularism is about the neutrality of the state towards religion and not about limiting individuals' freedom of religion. Uh, how much of this issue can spill out of Quebec into the rest of Canada? Because, again, you know, if something like this happens in Brampton or, or sorry, Ontario or uh, British Columbia, you know, the impact of six is far greater. Like, but is there, is there a chance for something like this spilling over? Well, that's the scary part. Um, we never expected this to happen in Canada. I mean, we had the charter, but then we also have section 33 of the charter that can exempt something from the charter. Uh, so theoretically, if you have a populist government that caters to white nationalism or to xenophobia, they could come in and put a similar ban in any other province in Canada, and we'd be powerless to stop them. Um, this is really, really scary. And like, as a sick, I'll be honest, when I was thrown out of the Via Rail train uh, when I was a law student because of my Kirpan, um, it actually made me think, I was like, I have no home. And I'd always felt Canadian, but I said to myself, you know, if Canada tells me I can't wear my Kirpan, where am I supposed to go? Can't live freely in India, can't live freely in Canada, Where where's my home? And I think that sort of comes back a little bit now. If they put restrictions on us here in Canada and they have the ability to do so, where is home for us? I don't know. Has the has the reaction been swift from three federal parties? Like, is there is there more that the federal parties can do to stop what's going on in Quebec, or at least shame uh, what the CAQ is trying to pull off here? Because that, that to me it seems like the only political avenue we have available to us. I was pleasantly surprised to see that all three major party leaders, so Trudeau, Sheer, and Jigmeet Singh, uh, all three of them came out fairly strongly uh, against uh, this bill. What can the federal government do? I mean, definitely shaming, but is there a legal avenue available? I don't know. I think it has to be examined. I mean, this is an uncharted area of the law. Like, how do you stop this? Um, is there a constitutional amendment that uh, is possible? And how would they go about doing it? Is it just the government needs to do it, or do they need the seven provinces to sign on? Um, I don't know. But it's something that I think we have to ask the government to look into pretty deeply. It's not enough to just to give it lip service. White nationalist. This is a topic of grave concern and importance to folks around the world, especially in light of the Christchurch mosque shooting, an attack that killed 50 people, injured 50 more, was a stark example of Islamophobia and white terror. And it was committed by a 28-year-old Australian man, a white supremacist, someone that was part of the alt-right. And there's actually a Canadian connection to this because the shooter in his manifesto was inspired by Bissonnette, the perpetrator of the terrorist attack in Quebec when he shot up a mosque as well. And not only is there a Canadian connection, this is something that should, that should be of importance to Sikh community uh, and for racialized communities uh, around the world, especially here in the Western world where we're seeing a rise in this type of hate. Just for Corey, you, you saw the news of Christchurch. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what was your first reaction uh, to when you saw the headlines start coming through? Um... 
I wasn't surprised, which is a horrible uh, reaction to have. I was really impressed with um, the Prime Minister's reaction. Prime Minister in New Zealand? Yes. Yes, no, I was trying to remember it. Jacinda. Um, she came forward and she, um, just in a horrible, horrible circumstance, was she dealt with it so with so much grace. Um, and it's so it's not that hard to say things that are kind and compassionate and to act well. And, um, you know, she covered her head and she went to the mosque and it reminded me of um, when the shooting happened in the Gordwara in Wisconsin in the States. Yes. That didn't the same reaction wasn't there because for politicians in America to cover their head and to go to the Gordwara, the, you can't um, really put those visuals out there. So horrible circumstance but a really positive example of leadership in a horrible circumstance. And that's really stood out, right? And I think yeah. it's, it's set a new precedent for how to react to stuff like this um, because there is a bit of a double standard that's applied to terrorist acts committed by white supremacists versus brown folks, right? Uh, there is a, there's a stark double standard. And that was highlighted actually here uh, in Canada after Andrew Scheer's reaction to the shooting, uh, relative to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. And I, I just wanted to quote something from the Globe and Mail. There was an article uh, titled Canadian Labour Congress and Muslim Group Accused Shear of Emboldening Far-Right Actors. And it states, the leaders of Canada's la largest labour organization and a prominent national Muslim group say conservative leader Andrew Shear is emboldening far-right extremists by failing to call out Islamophobia following the New Zealand mosque shootings and attending events with people who promote hate speech. Now, there was an interesting quote from Hassan Gardi. He's the executive director of the National Council of Canadian Muslims, uh, and it's an organization we work with very closely on many different uh, files where there is quite a bit of allyship, uh, including the terror report that Ralph Goodell put out in the Liberal Party of Canada. And Hassan Gardi says, Mr. Shear's initial decision to avoid saying that the victims were Muslims and the attacks took place at mosque and, it, and it, quoting us on here, felt very deliberate. Yeah, so originally Andrew Shear wrote that it was an attack on freedom. He Yeah, know. like we reject all forms of hate kind of thing. It, it was a very general, it was almost yeah. one of those like all lives matter type of thing yeah. without really naming what the actual issue here is. Yeah. And again, it has to see, be seen in the light. There is a Canadian context to this. And this guy was inspired by a similar Absolutely. attack in Canada. And a lot of the alt-right and the white supremacy that we're seeing around the world it's, it's being developed on internet forms, right? It's being yeah. developed on like dark spots of the internet. And I think this is really important too because it's the kind of, um, when we talk about dog whistle politics, so Andrew Shear did come out, I think like uh, the next day and then added the word Muslim to his statement. Um, yeah, because the original statement didn't mention mosque, didn't mention yeah. Muslim, didn't mention Islamophobia. Didn't mention any of those things. Um, I think when he does those things, and this is why the conversation around white supremacy is so difficult to have, especially in a Canadian context, it's not overt. So you don't get um andrew Shear won't go on the record and say like this I, I support white supremacy but he'll do things so that the people who are picking up on those notes will pick up on them the people that need to hear um his dog whistle will hear it and for the rest of us we're like oh yeah yeah but he did make a statement but he did say something um the words he chooses are very important and even his other all of his other connections to um rebel media to other white supremacists um, he won't denounce them. And that's also the kind of thing that when we put so much emphasis on liberal scandals, a lot of the stuff that the conservatives do in supporting white supremacy takes a backseat, never gets called out on. And, and, and we'll hop into that a little bit more because there's a great article by Andrew Demise that came out in McLean's. Yes. Uh, but talking about uh, sharing the stage, you know, he, he attended that Yellow Vest rally. 
uh, in Ottawa. And we, I think we talked about this a little bit last uh, last month now. It's 30 days since our last yes. podcast. Man, we're 30 so days much older. Happens. Yeah. Um, so he attended a, uh, a rally. He spoke from a stage. Now, albeit he didn't speak at the same time Faith Goldie spoke. And Faith Goldie is a well-known white supremacist. Um, but he did speak from a stage that also invited her, right? And yes. that said something. Uh, and he wasn't that quick to denounce that either. And the reaction from some in the mainstream media, not a lot, but some, was, well, hold on for a second. When Jagmeet Singh attended like our Khalsa Day parades, which mm-hmm. they're known here in the mainstream, but our, our Nargitans, yes, there'll be pictures of like something else saying, or there'll be pictures about 1984 and things like that. Uh, Jigmi Singh spoke from those stages and he was put under like he was thrown over the fire he was he yeah. was treated very poorly unfairly very little nuance about anything um, and he was forced to apologize that day in day out yeah. by this mainstream media in comparison uh, Andrew Shear was not put to the same level of scrutiny for literally sharing a stage with a white supremacist yeah. um, so there is a bit of a double standard that's beginning to become yeah. and noticed it's a, fal- it's a false equivalency to even say that those two things well, yeah, are total the same false equivalency. Um, and I think one of the really important things that came out was that Facebook recognized that recently so they talked about um, so white supremacy has been recognized as being hate speech on Facebook but they put out a statement that um, now white nationalism and white separatism are also being grouped there's a lot of overlap with white supremacy and Facebook while they did that, recognize that other ethnic groups have the right to ask for self-determination, to for separatism and for nationalism, and it's not the same thing as um, white separatism and white nationalism. And I think that's a really important thing because actions don't happen in a vacuum. And if you are the dominant group, you can't ask for the same things that people in positions of oppression can. So it's okay for me to have Sikh Heritage Month because my everyday doesn't have Sikh heritage celebrated in it it's not okay to have white heritage month mm-hmm. those two things even though they're the exact same thing because they're backed up by different sets of power have different implications right and going back to the facebook uh, you know, they put out a post called standing against hate and what they said was and i quote today we're announcing a ban on praise support representation of white nationalism and white separatism on facebook and instagram which we will start enforcing next week. So they've started enforcing it now. It's clear that these concepts are deeply linked to organized hate groups and have no place in our services. So you're seeing a bit of a clampdown now from folks uh, that are recognizing that social media platforms are being used and abused to propagate a lot of this this hateful speech. Yeah. Um, and you know, some people argue, well, what about you know the freedom of speech and blah blah blah. Facebook's a private company with a private product. Yeah. They don't need to respect and provide their services to allow you to say stuff that they don't like. Yeah, and those things are not unlimited. Freedom of expression in Canada is not without limitations. Um, I work in, I'm a child and care practitioner. If someone is under a certain age and they are protected by a certain law, even if they've done something, I can't say their name out loud. I can't say whatever I want. I can't say things without consequence. And I think it's important for us to highlight that for um, folks in Quebec to uh, have um, to speak about uh, nationalism and separatism, for six to speak about these things are within a certain framework. For Digmeet to speak about those things or to be at places where those things are spoken about does not require an apology. For Andrew Scheer to be on the same stage with white separatists, with white nationalists, does require um, something to be addressed. and It does require an apology because they are not the same thing. Yeah, and I think some people make the mistake too in the in the Sikh community that well, you know, this this stuff is just focused at at the Muslim community, right? Yeah. Which is wrong, uh, in of itself. Just like this hate shouldn't be directed at anyone like this. But 
people uh, or fail to realize for white supremacists, they don't really see a difference between anyone that's yeah. not white, right? Yeah. Let's be frank. Um, there's a Yellow Vest Facebook page, which is Canadian, and where the argument has been made, well, the Yellow Vest is just like this uh, economic anxiety kind of group mm-hmm. and they're afraid of like the pipelines being blocked and oil workers and truck drivers and what have you Th- that's not the reality of who these folks are and the yellow f- yellow vest facebook page which i'm surprised is still up probably will come down now m- quicker than before with facebook's new policy you know someone literally states if we blow up brampton in ontario that will take care of half of these turban head tools explanation yeah. mark a lot of excitement in these groups. Yeah, um, very enthusiastic. Very enthusiastic. They truly believe what they're saying. And the thing is, people respond back. And they don't respond back like, hey, guy, chill. You know, that's not cool here. People are literally responding back, hey, hey, hey. And, you know, and I read this comment coming. I'm like, okay, maybe this someone's going to be like, hey, man, stop. No, I live in this infiltrated city. Private warning, please. LOL. Again, another exclamation mark. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and the whole thing around the yellow vest, like I have been confused about it because um, for as much as the uh, right cries out that the media is biased and doesn't report properly, there has been so much of a mindful attempt to actually look at what the Yellow Vest folks are asking for and what their platforms are that I think there's been an underreporting of the hate and violence that comes out of them. So the movement started in France partly as a result of Macron raising, um, so his, his whole policy was economics and in the environment and part of that was raising the carbon tax also fill your uh, cars today it's going to happen in ontario as well yes. price at the pumps is going up by five cents the just um, Trudeau <laughs> premium yes um, so yeah so as a partly as a result of that folks that felt uh, mostly white so this movement doesn't speak to people of color mostly white disenfranchised folks in uh, rural france uh, d- decided to protest a lot of the elitism that was happening there, a lot of the politics, a lot of what was going on, and yellow vests are something that are required by people in France to have in their cars. They're highly visible, they're highly accessible, so they became um, the symbol of this movement. That movement, then, this is how I see it, because it feels like when you start to look at it, when you read the reports, you're like, oh, that makes sense. I'm also a disenfranchised working class person. I understand what their calls to action are. That movement became a home for um, disenfranchised white people that have a lot of racism. Yeah, especially in Canada. Yes. And so then by the time it gets to Canada, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. it is not the same thing it was in France. It has its own meaning in every country. And I think it's fair to say in Canada, it's synonymous with alt-right and with Oh, yeah. It's, it's hand in hand. Go like, check it. If you mean, you don't need to take my word for it. Go. We'll go to, to the, the Facebook, Facebook page. Like someone, yeah. someone says here in response to that thing about blowing up Brampton. Another person says, "Do you have any idea how many towns in Canada you would have to blow up?" In like two question marks. Again, emphasizing um, excitement. Like this is stuff that's happening out in the open on their Facebook pages, but mainstream media will not touch or yeah. not talk about it to the depth that it requires. They treat it as if it's just like this simple economic anxiety type group yeah. and has nothing to do with actual racism. Or, and there's or a second group in Canada, United We Rule, that then says we're not yellow vests, but they have a lot of the same ideologies. Well, they'll have it was made up of yellow vest folks. Yes, yes. They were yellow vest people, uh, different. They rebranded. And that was they were the ones that went to Parliament Hill. They were the ones that have now Andrew Shears speaking to them. So there's only so many degrees of separation, whichever direction you go in between Andrew Shear and white supremacy. But again, um, he can make it sound like it's about jobs. He can make it sound like it's about supporting oil. um, And it doesn't require any critical lens. 
Well, and this kind of goes into the next point. There was um, an article written by Andrew Demise in uh, the Maclean's. Maclean's is a major national magazine here in Canada. At, and it was titled, The Moral Cowardice of Canadian Media is Leaving Racism Unchallenged. And there was one quote uh, from Andre that, that, that really stood out to me. And by the way, this article went viral. It, it was much talked about here in Canada this past week, uh, you know, late March, early April. Uh, and the quote is, there sh- so again, maybe before I provide the quote, Andre is literally calling out the mainstream media and saying you guys are not doing enough to very critically analyze white nationalist, white supremacy growing in Canada. You're not doing a good job of analyzing and critiquing movements like Yellow Vest. You're not doing enough to analyze and critique politicians who are currying favor with these groups. And you're applying a double standard that that would otherwise been applied to folks of raci- racialized folks, mm-hmm. people of color. You know, Jagmeet Singh, a perfect example of what happened to him for, again, a false equivalency. This, uh, the stuff he was talking about has nothing to do with uh, the evilness of like white supremacy. Mm-hmm. This double standard has been uh, being applied, and the media has not done an effective job of challenging it, a media that is predominantly white. So Andre uh, calls this out, and he says... And I quote, there should therefore be thousands of helping hands willing to break this media cycle on white nationalism. But there are hardly any to be found. Instead, we're faced with a wall of white silence, as if the wave of hate crimes and terrorism in recent years hasn't been aided by the bigoted rhetoric from acquaintances and even family members they've muted in group chats. Mm-hmm. Right? Which was, I thought was a very powerful quote, uh, and it really does highlight something, you know, what gave birth to Ask Canadian Six, right, mm-hmm. to begin with, mm-hmm. where <coughs> this hypercritical analysis of the Sikh community that was absent of any input from the Sikh community itself was something the media was more than gleefully uh, more than happy to jump into for t- over two months, um, but will refuse to apply that same lens to something like United Rule, United Vest, uh, the Yellow Vest Rally, or yeah. the folks that are involved in uh, mostly in conservative movements, whether that's the People's yeah. Party of Canada with Maxine Bernier or, you know, folks uh, within uh, the conservative party ranks. You well, know. I mean, you, um, there was a UCP candidate who said that... Oh, the UCP has been a disaster yeah, so the, far. Yeah, the UCP candidate, she said that uh, there was a double... She was arguing it the other way, that they're being too hard. So there's mm. a double standard um, that when white terrorists are in the media, they're not given the same uh, compassion that right. brown terrorists are. So, so white people think that this is it being too hard, um, and we're saying that it's not hard enough. And in an interesting move... Um, and I say move because I think it's the Liberal Party's attempt to um, use their budget to kind of take the attention away from the SNC-Lavalin affair. They put uh, $45 million towards an anti-racism initiative. So the Liberal Party is now speaking to white supremacy, is trying to turn everyone's head and say, hey, look, we are doing something to stop the spread of white supremacy in Canada. Um, and this $45 million of funding that's being put into an anti-racism initiative I want to call out that it's happening. They're putting $45 million into this while they are also the very institution that is labeling us, baselessly labeling us as terrorists. Yes. So my thing is like, hi, liberal government. Uh, so are you going to take some of that $45 million and give it back to yourself and take our name off of the terror report? Because you're kind of the reason that we are experiencing racism. Well, in a lot of these groups, and there's other Facebook groups out there that are targeting specifically Jagmeet Singh yes. or the Sikh community. Yes. And they're pulling language out of the terror report. Yes. Like they're pulling yes. justification out of the, the terror report. Um, a far right government in India, right? The, 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 the Hindu the driven agenda, or the RSS driven agenda, which is like the equivalent of white supremacy, but like 
in India. Yeah. They're more than happy to point to that terror report as well and use it as fuel for, you know, racist uh, bigotry online and elsewhere. So we can't, you can't just look at the conservative party and saying, well, they're doing this and they're doing that, which they are. Yep. But the liberal party is, is not uh, free from criticism on this as well. Uh, and like what you shared, uh, the High Commission of India put out a joint press statement on their 16th meeting of the Canada-India Joint Working Group on Counterterrorism. So this is a joint press statement from India and Canada in which... They say, uh, and I quote, the delegation discussed the reference for the first time to the threat from Khalistani extremism in Public Safety Canada's 2018 annual report on terrorism threats in Canada. So here is, uh, again, and they have yet to prove to show any fact or any intelligence as to what um, Khalistani terrorism or extremism in Canada looks like, um, but they are putting out joint press statements saying that we talked about what this is and i'm curious as to what they talked about well, considering we it know exist. like in, in india like the definition for extremism is very different than it is in canada uh so any kind of criticism of you know yeah. human rights violations human rights yeah. records talking about 1984 the sick genocide or yeah. any like you know operation blue star like talking about any of those things is considered uh, uh an act of terror yeah. in india right like it, it, i'm not even exaggerating yeah. that's no, literally no. what it is yeah. and it kind of hands itself to the next thing it's you know, uh, Ralph Goodell, Minister Goodell, uh, who's the Minister of Public Safety, was asked, you know, would the Canadian government start clamping down on extremist talk online as well, yeah. right? Kind of amplifying what Facebook did. And he said that is something we will explore. Well, six, according to the this government, this liberal government, are also labeled as a yep. terrorist extremist threat. So would advocacy that is done by sick activists around human rights violations or 1984 Will that then be banned? Because that's what the request will be from the Indian government. So how does that apply? Yeah, if that's what you're framing as extremism, if that's what you're telling us Khalistani extremism is, and then your government is now taking a stand to ban extremism, what does that mean for our community who needs to keep having these conversations? And that was held in equivalency to white supremacy. Like, yeah. we're held as, as dangerous as white we're supremacy to Canada. We're, right we're the there. top five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, and we keep talking about this because this, there continues to be no action and no movement on this yeah. months after this has come out, months after yeah. conversations with the government. Um, and it's all ties in together. These things are not separate, which is why I think it's important for the Sikh community to understand the impact of things like white supremacy and white nationalists, the impact of things like shootings at a mosque. It doesn't take much for white supremacists to direct a gun to a gurdwara, yeah. right? And we saw it in the States, right? It doesn't take much. And it's not like they're all that educated or, or sophisticated enough to know even the difference, even if they wanted to, right? Yeah. Like, they have no idea. They're idiots. Yeah. It, it's not a linear thinking pattern to become a white supremacist. No. <laughs> so for them to go into a mosque and shoot it up is it's as big as an impact on the Muslim community as it is on the Sikh community, yeah. right? And it we, shouldn't have to, we shouldn't even have to think about it in those terms. Like, yeah. It should be enough that our Muslim brothers and sisters are exactly. being attacked. But for you, I think... Uh, Jasmine the, which is why allyship and solidarity is so yeah, important, right? She, uh, I think it was Jasmine Gore who said it. Uh, it's not a matter of if they come to us, it's when. Yes. Yeah. And it's already happened once. Yeah. Right? It's not like America is so far away from Canada. It's not like what happened in Quebec is, is so far away from what can happen elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a dangerous precedent that's being set. And a dangerous... Um, uh, it, you know, ammo is being given to white supremacists. Be like, well, yeah, see these six, they're terrorists. Yeah. Uh, and they're here in Canada and we got to do something about it, right? And it doesn't, go, like, and it, there's layers to it. So it's not just, it's not the guy with the gun that walks into the mosque in Quebec. It's how did he get there? And what are all of, like, the covert things that embolden that person to get to that point? And I think this is, like, this brings me back to Jagmeet being the NDP leader. Like, we are 
the celebrating. This is an incredible moment to have the first racialized federal party leader. And while we are spending so much energy celebrating that fact, where is the conversation on the fact that he is the first racialized federal party leader? He's going to experience so much racism. Yes. And what it, it's it, never easy to be the pioneer. Yeah. And like, are we going to talk about uh, the uh, NDP losing their orange wave in Quebec? Because and what does that have to do? Oh, with and it's race? already happened. Yeah. yeah and what is and how does race play into that? And the fact that he uh, it seems like I mean, the NDP has reworded it as a changing of the guard that a lot of their incumbent are not coming back it can also be seen as people jumping ship and how much of that has to do with race yeah i think in quebec it has a lot to do with it and you know jagneet singh since being elected now into the house uh the ndp has surged a little bit they're they're better footing now they're in the 20 percent uh range which is traditionally kind of where they've been like when they're doing well um as we get closer to a federal election, and if the NDP continues to increase their chances of at least forming a strong opposition or holding a balance of power, what is increasingly looking like a minority government, there's going to be a, a, a lot more hate that's going to be spewed against Jagmeet Singh as he, sees, as he becomes an increasing threat yeah. uh, to the status quo. To and regardless of whether you're NDP or not, if you're a Sikh, you are going to be responsible. Yeah, it's not a partisan reason. thing. Yeah. Like For me, it's not a partisan thing at all. It's like looking at it from like a perspective of the Sikh community. It, it, with the good comes the bad. Like yeah. If he's raising the profile for the Sikh community in a good way, yeah. there's also going to be some negative attention that will be applied especially as his uh, position strengthens over time. Yeah. So, so now we wait and see how race factors into him being a federal party leader, but I don't think we wait passively. I think we have to keep that conversation alive and keep looking to see what people are doing and what they're motivated by. Yeah, and it's I think it's important to call out hate whenever you see it yeah. in any form. I think sometimes, you know, some folks uh, in the city community, but every other community is the same way. It's like, We'll we'll focus on it when it happens to our own people, but then kind of stay silent when it happens to others. Yeah, um, you know, allyship or being being there to stand for each other because uh, you know hate doesn't discriminate. It really yeah. doesn't. So, uh, I think the white nationalist topic is one that's going to come up often now moving forward. It, it's it is starting to get into the mainstream conversation dialogue a little more than it has been in the past. But that's on us. The onus is on us to continue that conversation and ensure that it, it doesn't fall by the wayside. Election interference. This has been a topic raging in America for a while now, especially with uh, the alleged Russia collusion with the Trump presidency. and uh, Collusion delusion. Yeah. <laughs> and we had the, uh, the, the, Mueller report, the Mueller report that came down, which is now the big raging debate is whether or not they make that public. Mm-hmm. So what about Canada? You know, we are not immune from election interference here as well, whether yeah. that's from Russia or China or Iran. Or India. Yeah. Uh, so the Toronto Star uh, had an article out called Canadian officials worry that foreign actors are trying to meddle in the 2019 election uh, through the use of third parties, uh, to use of um, uh, interfering at a local level in uh, diverse communities. So i.e., you know, the Indian government interfering in the Sikh community. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is a real threat that is being uh, looked into by the Canadian government. Yeah. And shout-outs to our... Uh, Ottawa board member. Ottawa board member, Kerpokor, who put together a brief... Our political expert. A political expert. And she explained how there was election interference. And so when I think of election interference, I think of, like, uh, Russia hacking Facebook because I consume too much American political information. Um, but some of the stuff that she had put together was talking about how it happens in Canada. And Lead Now is a third-party advocacy group in Canada that they're kind of 
whole uh, public image is like started by two young guys, left leaning, going to change the world. And we're going to go out there and do it on an individual vote basis. And they go out and they tried uh, to flip votes. They were able to successfully do it in 25 out of 29 ridings away from conservative candidates. And when you dig a little bit deeper into where Lead Now gets their funding from, you can see that it is from American group. So there was two, the CISU initiative and the Tide Foundation. And um, in Canada, we have laws where third party groups can't have more funding than the parties themselves can have. If you break your third party advocacy group off into smaller groups, though, the sum of those parts can end up having more funding. We're also not supposed to have interference from non-Canadians. But when the funding for these groups, the money is coming from Americans and Americans that have been cited as being anti-Canadian oil, what does that mean for how they are finding ways to massively fund protests, on-the-ground initiatives, advocacy groups? And those groups are successful in flipping writings. It's hard for me to have this conversation because I'm happy when we flip writings away from conservatives, but I can also recognize that while I'm the result was in like my political favor, that it's unethical and it's not how we should run our elections. Yeah, look. It's it's one thing um, when it's on an advocacy issue like this, uh, but it's another thing when it will be directed against our community at large. And the fear is coming closer and closer to the October 2019 election and with the greater scrutiny now on election interference in general and the fact that it's now public that the Canadian government will be looking into it. We have to ensure that not that the interference that the Indian government will be playing in our local elections cannot go unnoticed or unchecked by yeah. elected uh, by our government. Um, because they will have an impact here locally. Absolutely. And they have in the past as well, right? Like they will try to, you know, influence uh, decision Absolutely. making. They'll try to influence um, what kind of policies or topics that the community will uh, want to flag as important and try to diminish, you know, human rights advocacy Absolutely. in favor of other things. Um, we can't, be ignorant of that. It, it will happen. Yeah. Especially like with, again, uh, not only just Jigmeet Singh as a leader of a major party, but you have four mi major ministers of the Liberal Party. You got uh, members of parliament across the board in all Absolutely. three parties. The Indian government is watching our election and there's so many... There, uh, politics is dirty and I learn new things every day mm -hmm. and I just learned uh, that the... Um, was it the Conservatives in Alberta when they were electing their own... Uh, party leader they had like a kamikaze candidate yeah is what yeah they were that was calling. in the news lately yeah, yeah. and the, that you can actually and this might just be my naivete that i didn't realize how dirty politics were that you can insert a candidate to fail on purpose to sabotage to pull votes away from other people and i know i've seen i've seen it done like in brampton i've seen it done on smaller levels like nominations and yeah <laughs> that's easily a place where the indian government can plunk their person yeah. in not for the purpose of winning but for the purpose of pulling votes well, away and, from and it's also it, it's also um widely accepted that a lot of our um, punjabi media outlets mm -hmm. are funded by the yes. government of india right they, yes. that uh, one of the big revenue sources is the government yes. of india this patronage. podcast has no sponsors if you would like to make a donation <laughs> to the world sick organization <laughs> find us on our website yeah, yeah we're only influenced by you the people yes. <laughs> uh, no but like there there is there is re very real channels of influence that, um, you know, uh, foreign actors, in this case India, uh, can help push certain messaging. Uh, and that can't be ignored or kind of brushed aside as a, some sort of silly ethnic issue. Yeah. Uh, this is a very real issue and it's of very real importance to Absolutely. the close to now what? I think one million plus 
uh, folks of uh, quote unquote Indian origin, right? Yeah. So of that a million, about 600,000 or six now, or close to 600,000, I think, uh, you have a huge chunk that are South Indian and Tamil, uh, which also don't, which also flag a lot of human rights violations in India. A huge chunk are Indian Muslim, which also flag a huge amount of human rights violations yeah. in India. Uh, even within the Hindu community, uh, you know, a lot of folks are against the Hinduatta movement and the far-right nationalist movement that's arising there. So there's a lot of issues with human rights violations and, and general advocacy mm-hmm. in India and, and the diaspora here in Canada. Uh, you know, the, the Indian government is watching that. They're watching yeah. that very closely. Human rights violations are the fodder of the Indian government. That's how they run elections, how they win elections. And they um, and this is the thing, like that Star article talks about how I think specifically online, like there have been more attacks than leading up to the election. There's going to be more. Um, What do you think? What are things that folks can do to make sure they are well informed when they go to vote? And even if these things are happening, if there's money coming in from the Indian government, Chinese government, if third party advocacy groups are being funded by the United States, if you are sitting there looking at a Facebook feed that is uh, showing you stuff that Russia has put in there. How do you become a well-informed I, I voter? think one thing is you got to be a critical consumer of media. Yeah. Including this podcast. Yes. Right? Like, you have <laughs> to be a critical consumer of media. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of opinion and editorial that's applied to things. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of applies to the second point. It's just getting educated on how journalism works, right? Like, yeah. you know, not everything is fact. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, a lot of things are opinion pieces. A lot of things are editorials. Like, they're not... There, there is a bias applied to them, and that's the whole point. Yeah. Not everything is just like a news, you know, here are the facts, here's 10 things, and move on with your life. Right? Absolutely. So just being a critical consumer of media, and also just being critical of where your media is coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's things like Facebook or other social media platforms uh, where anyone can just put contact and push it, you know, you got to be critical of that. Like, you know, are journalistic in- integrity being applied to these things? Are, are these things really ethical? Yeah. Are they, I hate using this term, uh, but, you know, there is fake news. Like, that is not Yeah, and not untrue. the, it's not, the term fake news is applied to talk, describe real news, but there is yeah, real fake news. there's actual real fake news. Yeah, there's real fake news. Uh, so being critical consumers of that media and, and ensuring that uh, you, you educate uh, you know, for example, like the older folks, your parents, yeah. uh, because there's been studies done on this that yeah. uh, it's the older generation that are more susceptible to fake news. Or oh more man, don't we all get those forwards on WhatsApp from yeah. our parents? And WhatsApp, the biggest driver of a news consumption in our community, I think. Yeah, and, and they, we had to teach our parents how to fact check. Yeah, and our parents don't because they'll just forward it. It's all this medical information too. Yes. If you drink water, it'll go straight to your knees. Yeah. Like a good animation and yeah, a don't montage. Drink, don't in drink there. cold water because yeah. that will do something to you. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the health stuff is actually a really good point because there's tons of that. Uh, like pseudoscience health oh, like, garbage. Yes, but yes. The, the point being is... Uh, you know, being vigilant and also just, you know, educating your parents, educating the folks around you that are, that are a little bit of the older generation that, um, you know, they grew up in a time where a lot of news was coming through yeah. reputable sources. It was coming the through newspapers. The currency of Punjabi uncles is unsolicited, unsolicited political opinions and yes. the currency of Punjabi aunties is unsolicited medical advice. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a gross gender generalization, which is like off brand for me, yes. but that is my lived experience. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's just kind of. 
Yeah, ensuring that you're a little more critical, I think, yes. consumers of media. One of the most grown-up things I did was uh, I canceled my Netflix and bought a Toronto Star subscription instead. Wow. It hurt. It hurt. That's so, weird. Yeah, like to just... Uh, but no, we had two Netflix subscriptions okay, okay. in my house, so I'm okay. I'm still okay. <laughs> but we are like a Washington Post, Toronto Star family. But yeah, you got to make some grown-up calls. And also, you're, there are things that you can access for free. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, be willing to have conversations and debates about these issues in public. Yeah, I think that's a big thing, right? Uh, and that's what Ask Eighty Six is all about as well. It's like have these conversations, debates. Uh, don't don't just rely on circles that you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you know, find other people who have different opinions and challenge one another. Like I don't agree with you, just record on no, a lot don't of agree. things. Yeah. You don't agree with me on a lot of things. Uh, but the point being is, I think together we can flesh out some uh, yeah. concepts pretty well. Uh, so it's how you find people and you bring them together and then have these really interesting conversations and you can you can put together uh, better better ideas that way. You know, a new segment that we want to start uh, because Just Before believes this is a little too doom and gloom. That's uh, my brand. I'm very cynical <laughs> and everything is horrible and I know that that's not true. So what we're going to do is we're going to end each episode with a good news roundup, good, good sick news roundup. Uh, but what's going kind of going around across the, the country and around the world. Um, we got three things that we kind of want to talk about. Yeah. One is Sikh Heritage Month. So huge congratulations to all the people that have been organizing Sikh Heritage Month and making it a real thing around Canada. Um, I Last night was the opening in Brampton. I've last seen night being March 30th. March 30th. That's when we're recording on the 31st today. Um, in this beautiful snowy day, it's March 31st yeah, it's and it is snowing. It looked gorgeous though driving yeah. in today. Like the trees were. It like, did look so beautiful. It was so I nice. hated how. Be- that's see, that's the cynical thing. I hated how yeah. beautiful it you gotta was. Gotta be Charity Color. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and also, of all the sick, as people are celebrating Sick Heritage Month, I encourage you to be critical of you know raising our Nishan Sab at the Parliament. So, the sign of our sovereignty uh, and our symbol as a nation at the parliaments of other nations. So, uh, yeah, but they, it's, it's such an incredible lineup for Sick Heritage Month everywhere. I had to throw something You're too woke. There. I know. Um, but uh, we have some stuff coming up for Sick Heritage Month from WSO. Yes. So we have a couple of panels. Uh, we got Cores Vote, which is happening across the country. Um, and that is a panel on Sick Women in Politics talking about you know the challenges and successes of sick women in that space which is typically male dominated yeah uh so i'm really 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 looking forward to that we have such cool speakers we we'll probably do a bonus episode of one of the podcasts hopefully if the audio comes out right uh so look out for that the yep. sick feminist research institute is doing uh for sick heritage month at pama on april 14th uh case a celebration of hair so we have a lot of people um, for female and femme folks who we have a lot of people telling us what to do with um, the hair on our bodies. And we don't have a lot of people asking us what we do with it. Mm-hmm. So this is not to tell you what to do with it, but this is I'm inviting you out to share what choice do you make with your hair and how does it make you feel strong? So come on out, make art with us and share the strength around your hair. Awesome. And then the other thing is uh, Sick Heritage Month BC has really kicked up uh they scaled up uh, the operations in BC. Uh, it's actually a really cool lineup there. Um, I was speaking to uh, uh, I was speaking to some of the organizers there and here and others, uh, and you know they made a conscious, really conscious effort to make this a community event where the community comes together and puts events together. Uh, I know sometimes there's been criticism of Sick Heritage Months elsewhere that they take a kind of a partisan tint to them, mm-hmm. fairly or unfairly. Um, 
So BC has made a really conscious effort of ensuring that this is a, it's led by the youth there. It's yes. irrespect. No politicians are involved. Uh, and it's it's kind of a unique uh, way of the, how they developed it uh, relative to Sick Heritage Months elsewhere. So that's kind of cool. Um, Check your local listings for your the Sick Heritage Month closest to you. Yes. Yes. In other good news, um, in Victoria, the Sikh community and uh, folks from other communities, as a response to the shootings in New Zealand, formed a human chain around mosques. And we also saw that with some of our local leadership. Um, Harkeet Singh, who is a city councillor for Brampton, attended an event and spoke at an event at the Great Lakes Mosque uh, regarding the terrorist attack in New Zealand. So we saw a lot of Sikhs going out and showing support for uh, Muslim brothers and sisters and literally forming walls around their oh, institutions. Walls of solidarity. And the, the thing about the one that happened in Victoria, BC, uh, it was the six who started it, yeah. and it kind of grew to the, such a big thing that communities, other communities came and joined them as well, uh, which is it, it's a great example of how like the Sikh community kind of stands up and, and stands in solidarity uh, against all forms of hate. Uh, and it, it was a really good, real feel-good story that kind of went viral here in Canada as well. And a third shout out to Manmeet Gore, who is the founder and CEO of City Health Works. And she made the top 40 under 40 in Crane's New York business list. Um, she works out of Harlem and talks about community health workers and how they are part of the health system. Look up the article that highlights her work. So six around the world continue to do really positive things despite the past hour of uh, harping on Canadian politics that you've heard <laughs> on this pol- podcast. Yeah, we're a little too negative on ourselves sometimes. I, I think I'm very proud of the sick community. I think we've uh, we, we knock it out of the park and we punch above our weight all the time. Yes, 100 percent. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Ask Canadian Six, the podcast. As always, we are once a month, so we will release an episode in the first week of every month. We do do bonus episodes here and there. You may have heard the one we did on the Terror Report panel in Surrey. We're hopefully going to have some uh, this month as well around Cores Vote uh, and other topics. You can find us on social media at World Sick on essentially every single platform. As for the podcast, we are on Anchor, SoundCloud. We're on, we are now on Google Podcasts. We're still waiting for iTunes. They're taking their sweet time. But it will be there soon, I promise you. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jaspreet Gaur, uh, for being here again today. Thank you, Balpreet Singh, as a guest uh, as a guest here on the Quebec topic. And again, on the one and twos, uh, Shinda Singh, the the uh, the hero that doesn't get any mic time, but he is here making it Who possible. Who edits out all of the inappropriate things? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't get to hear. Yes, the archives. But he'll always have that to hold above our heads yes. whenever he needs something. So thank you for listening to Ask It 86, the podcast. Until next month. Bye. 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 B